Our reading this morning is Psalm 73, which can be found on page 562 of the Church Bible. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes inquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no, know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understand, understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on a slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell all of your deeds. This is the word of the Lord. And Steve's going to come and speak to us this morning. Um, and share his reflections on that psalm. Let's pray for Steve this morning. Father God, we thank you for the gifts you placed within Steve, gifts of reflection and insight, and the ability to share your word with us this morning. We pray that now, Lord, you would come by your Spirit and bring revelation to our lives, that you would renew our minds and give us hope in our hearts that you are a God who works in our lives day by day. And we pray now that you would anoint his words, that they would be your words spoken to us here this morning. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Is this the mic good? Yeah. So, um, thank you for inviting me to speak again. It's a pleasure to be here before you all. There's a few new faces here, and I hope you do feel welcomed by the church um, and feel a part of the service. I'll eventually remember what I'm trying to talk about when. Here we go. I'll just get my hair out of the way first of all, because my hair's traditionally been a number zero, and now I've gone the complete opposite, where I'm not going to cut it for a long time. It's the Samson Project. Hopefully it will give me strength <laughs> against my many ailments. Um, so before we begin, I've put in the church sort of handouts. There's a little insert to do with translations of a psalm, and it's to do with the psalm we're doing today. Um, so just before we begin, does anyone need a bigger print copy? Because I have a few of those if anyone's having trouble reading that one. No glasses, eh? Is that, is that sufficient? Thank you. Well, the 9.30 service all had perfect eyesight. Yeah, they did. And there was, let's see. Was it Paul? For you. So, we'll come to the insert in a moment, but... Today we're coming to the end of our short series on the Psalms and we're exploring how they can help us with our faith and with our lives. And the Psalms deal with what it's like to be an actual real human being, a person, struggling to make sense of the world around us. And as I was thinking about this, I realised that although the Psalms are nearly 3,000 years old and often dressed up in difficult language, I do see them of real relevance to our lives today. And indeed, they show a remarkable uniformity about the struggles and joys of humanity for thousands of years. Because the troubles and celebrations of the writers of the Psalms do seem to be the same as the troubles and celebrations of ourselves today. And in fact, it amazes and delights me that despite incredible revolutions in all matters of life, culture, science, and so on and so forth, the essence of what it means to be a human being the pains, the joys, and the sorrow are the same as always. So I see the Psalms rather like the seasons of life. Sometimes a particular Psalm is really very relevant to you. Sometimes it's relevant to a memory, perhaps. And sometimes a Psalm may not resonate with you whatsoever. And from reading some of them, you may well hope it never does. So what I'm asking for the first part of this sermon today is to consider your relationship to the Psalms. So, do you love the Psalms? Do you have a couple of favourites? Do you like them when they crop up in church? Or really, do the Psalms not do anything for you? So, it might surprise you that the Psalms are full of difficulty in translation because they're prayers, they're poems, they're lamentations, they're pleas for help. And such writing's really clear and distinct and direct. And it often contains cultural references and cultural phrases and idioms and so on. And the version of the Bible that you're reading can dramatically impact the effect of the Psalms. And so to help you see this, this is why I've included this little insert for you. It's the same four, six key verses for four different translations. Because I like flowery, mysterious language with lots of hyperbolas and sort of imagery, whereas some people prefer direct, clear speech. And... They're both equally acceptable. And so, similarly, some people like a translation which preserves the meaning of the original writer 
whereas some are insistent that there's direct word-by-word -word translation. So to sort of get a feel for this, what I'd like to do for, for a minute or so is to take a look across this table to see the differences in the translation and see if there's some which appeal to you, hold any surprises perhaps. So you can talk about this if you wish to. It's a very easy way to fill a part of a service, actually. <laughs> Has anyone noticed any obvious differences that they feel the urge to point out? Because for me, I was quite note struck by the fact that some of the woes are God's doing and some aren't. Some of the things the man's up, under, um, sort of distressed and some he's beyond thinking and reasoning and others he's upset. And there's all sorts of different ways that these verses are received. And because we are coming to the end of the psalm series, I do wonder if I could suggest to you that you look at the psalms in a version to which you're used to, and perhaps they will speak to you in a new and different way. But turning our attention to Psalm 73 itself, that despite these variations, however you choose to interpret this, this man is having a crisis of faith. He starts off by looking at all the woes of the world, and then he, there's a central part where he doesn't understand what's going on. And then he realizes that God is the way to, to safety. So last week, I think it was Matthew, this one referred to Matthew 12 too, which says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this piece of good advice could well have been offered to the psalmist, who finds himself envying the prosperousness of the wicked and wondering if there's any point in keeping himself pure by following the detailed laws of Moses. So before we do this, we're going to do a short quiz. And I want you to count your yeses on your fingers. I think there are six or seven. So question number one. Have you ever been jealous of the super rich? Lottery winners, their homes, their cars, their belongings, their handbags and shoes. Or shoes, some of those. Have you ever envied the bodies and the faces of good-looking celebrities and sports people? Have you ever looked the rich and successful and thought that they must lead an easier, better, and more straightforward life than you. I might give them two yeses, actually. Have you ever been distressed that money breeds money and the rich just seem to get richer? And have you ever enjoyed following a news story about a celebrity's problems, their fall from grace, their descent into some sort of destructive behavior? Has anyone got five to those ones? <laughs> this is exactly what the psalmist was saying in the psalm language. But somewhat more seriously, have you ever watched more serious news and begun to doubt God? Begun to doubt Christianity? That all these things can go on? Have you ever surveyed your troubles and the troubles of the world and thought that there's no point carrying on with the church? Perhaps even no point carrying on at all? In summary, this psalm deals with one of the biggest, if not the biggest, problems of faith, 
why is it that bad things happen to good people? Or more specifically, is why do good things happen to such bad people? And the end point of such thinking, which is only natural, is most likely doubt. Perhaps not just doubt in God's love, but of God himself. Perhaps even doubt in yourself. Doubt that you are precious, meaningful, and of value to the world. If you were, why would you be suffering so much? Moreover, can you actually make a difference in this broken, unfair world? And is it even worth trying? If the psalmist admits in verse 16, he finds this almost too difficult, taxing and painful to understand. It's clear the psalmist is suffering some sort of mental anguish, perhaps an anguish we've come to know as the thinking which leads to depression, which we will be coming on to. Now, the psalmist lived in a really straightforward world. We live in a bustling, media-soaked world where images of the successful, happy, and beautiful people are continually streamed into our faces. We live in a depressing time where the major woes of the world, all of them, are always on our screen. We know all these wars that are happening, all the terrible criminals, all the lands destroyed by tragedy. And with this wave of information, I think there's a great danger that the media itself can overcome us. We might find ourselves yearning for escape from our lot in life, perhaps. We might find ourselves continually envying the people who pop up on our Facebook pages. It might lead us to doubt, dislike our lot in life. We might find ourselves drowning in the woes of the world, trying to solve or comprehend the whole of mankind's problems. What better way is there to feel insignificant, meaningless, or even worthless? Because I asked you some questions about have you ever envied various things in other people? But the problem with doing this is eventually it becomes self-referential. I wonder if any of you have ever been really dissatisfied with your possessions and home and all the things you have. I wonder if you've ever hated a part of your body or your own face. I've wondered if you've ever seen the difficulties facing you and despaired coming into the week at a pointless, poorly paid job. Doesn't it make you feel unfair how unfair life is? Sometimes people go so far down a rope they feel that it's all just gone wrong. And what's the point in carrying on? Because eventually your mind will tell you that you're a failure, you're rubbish, you're flawed or useless or worthless. And what do we do then? Turn to cycles of obsessive behavior, addiction, drinking, smoking, eating too much, dieting too much, exercising too much, working too much. These things don't bring peace and happiness. And I think in modern times, it's all too easy to end up in the dark and unfortunate place where your own mind becomes a cycle of negativity, which can gradually wear you down until you end up in the bleak, despairing and distorted world of depression. And the devil must love this. He must seek to encourage it. Now, these are difficult things to consider, but this is our period where we're considering mental health throughout the church. And it seemed appropriate to tackle the problem of depression, which I know is rife amongst people in our community. 
Because depression, it's the end of a long road of trying to keep going in a difficult, unfair world. Perhaps you're trying to keep going secretly carrying the wound of a traumatic event or childhood. Perhaps you're just in the wrong job and you're going in the wrong direction for you, but family and society expect it. Maybe you're wearing a mask, pretending to be someone who inside you really are. Or maybe you're bearing a heavy burden of regret about which you can do nothing. And the psalm is doubted. And I see depression, it's the ultimate doubt, because it's doubt of yourself and of the place in the world. It's doubt of your own ability to do anything about it. It's a corrosive curse on a person. And I'm not exaggerating, so it's a slow and endless torture. And as I was thinking about this reflection, I felt it appropriate to say that I myself have suffered from crippling depression, which has had me hospitalized before. Now, this isn't for any sympathy for me or anything like that, but it's to let people realize that people who may seem outwardly straightforward can suffer from this affliction. And I do know what I'm talking about here. I was plagued by the depressive inner voice, which some of you may recognize. I was told I was stupid, a failure, a fraud. And I was so angry at my weakness. I was so cross, I kept getting ill. Why did I keep getting ill? Surely I could pull myself together to get myself out of this. I'm not going to obviously ask people, but I'm sure this must resonate with people sitting here. Or people must know relatives and friends who have suffered this curse. So how are we to proceed with this? Well, we have some hope because clearly the psalmist struggled greatly in the center of the psalm, and he overcame his, his doubts and his demons. We don't know how he did this, but we do have a weapon in our armory which wasn't available to the writers of the psalms because we have the wonderful teachings of Jesus and the wisdom of the New Testament there's no easy way out of depression. But the message of Jesus is a wonderful way forward because his message was simply, be who you really are. He didn't judge people on looks or status or wealth or health or ability. None of these things really matter in the long run. Jesus sat and spoke with people. The society held as worthless. The failures, the sick, the ill prostitutes, people on the fringes of society. And he made these people realize that they really, truly mattered. He cast out demons, real or imagined, from these people's minds and their hearts. He healed sickness in all its forms. And he told us not to be tempted to waste our lives in the pursuit of empty dreams or riches, in the pursuit of fool's gold, don't put God in the background whilst you get on with other things. If you are in doubt, if you're, in, if you're suffering, challenge it. Talk about it. Share your feelings. It can be hard to talk about some things. But the liberation of saying to somebody, help me, can be wonderful. But don't put it all aside until it's too late. I just want to be very clear here for people who don't have experience of this. Depression isn't feeling sad or a bit down or, or tired. It really isn't something you can pull yourself out of or pull yourself together. There's no quick fix, but kindness to someone who's suffering 
and listening to someone who's suffering without offering advice or judging is a wonderful support that's available to all of us. We could all reach out a hand to that depressed person that we know. In the absence of a miracle, which might happen, of course, it takes a long time to unwind a depressed mind. Depressed people often are people who've struggled so long and so far with so many burdens without help that eventually the body and the mind say stop. It takes a lot of patient love and care of those around the sufferer. But what if you are the sufferer yourself? Well, be kind to yourself. Take that first step. Because Jesus said very clearly that you, you, are unique and precious. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. It takes the first daring step of trying to believe, as the Bible promises, that there really is something better for a life out of which you can see no escape. So I began my journey to healing by holding two verses close to my heart by carrying themselves around in my head where possible, or on a piece of paper when my head couldn't hold them. And the first was, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the second was, Trust in the Lord, not man. I'm led to believe it's the central verse of the Bible. And I can't imagine a better way to squeeze the whole thing down to a few words. Society and mankind expects all sorts of things from us. But God and Jesus expect something very different. Put your trust in him. Perhaps you might find guidance in some verses which speak to you. You could search for some. You could look in different translations to see which translation speaks to you. You could find a gem that you could hold and take with you throughout your life. You can hold them and you can live by them. When times are tough, you can trust in the Lord. You don't know how or why, but you can. The Lord will fix all things if you're prepared to wait, to trust and to hand him all your burdens. Thank you.